and welcome to a very special bonus episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow. Happy New Year to all our listeners. And as always, I am joined by my best friend, Andre Grayson. Hello, Mr. Dow, and Happy New Year to you and the listenership. I know, it's uh, it's been a crazy year. Um, so what we thought we would do today as this bonus episode is try and do a, a year summary of everything that's happened throughout throughout 2020. Um, now, obviously, we've seen so many people talking about 2020 and saying how they're glad to see the end of it and to see the back of it. Um, but we're going to obviously focus on the football side of things. And it's been a very topsy-turvy year, unlike uh, any other that we would have experienced in our lifetime. And hopefully we won't experience another one like this again. So the way we're going to structure this is we're just going to go through month by month to talk about the key things that happened both on and off the pitch during those periods. So it should be quite interesting and we'll see <laughs> how this goes. So if we start with uh, January 2020, going back a, a full year, um, and what was noticeable about that to begin with is on the field, uh, we obviously had just had Mikel Arteta take over in the middle of, of December and we saw him pick up his first win as Arsenal manager against Manchester United at home um, on New Year's Day. So, Andre, take it away. Well, there's a lot to pick out January that's really quite enjoyable. Um, I think the thing that stood out for me in that Manchester United game when you think about where we are now and you think about, because so much of this be reflecting, the goal scorers that day, Pepe starting a game, pretty unusual, and making a contribution. Um, and uh, Pretty unusual. Pretty <laughs> unusual in, in all respects. But the, the, the goal scorer of the second was Socrates Papastastopoulos. Um, which was, uh, I'm pretty tired. Uh, and I think that came out in my pasta. Do you know what? Socrates scored. He doesn't even play anymore. <laughs> he doesn't even play. That was, uh, and that, I remember at the time, because we were so, so, so low um, with everything Arsenal. And that really did feel like New Year, New Us, uh, <laughs> when we, we uh, tore United to shreds that day, actually. Yeah, that was a, a very significant one because just before um, the turn of the year, obviously, we'd lost 2-1 at home to Chelsea, uh, drew 1-1 with Bournemouth on Boxing Day um, to sort of bring in the new era under Mikel Arteta. And it did feel like going into the Manchester United game that it was it was vital that we got a win in that just to set us off on the trail of having a new manager and and hopefully heading in a new direction. So it was really, really important. And I remember the the final whistle uh, that was a game that I had a ride. I went to New York over over New Year's, and I got back on New Year's Day. And rather than go home, I went straight to the Emirates to watch <laughs> to watch Arsenal Man United. Understandable. Um, and I remember on the final whistle, it was just an uh, like an outpouring of relief, and it just it really did feel like a, a a new moment and a new new sort of era under under a new boss. So. I thought I thought that was a, a really significant start to the new year, and and um, brought it brought in the Mikel Arteta era well. Yeah. Um, across the whole month, we actually remained unbeaten, um, so that's where we really started to, to see that we were becoming a more difficult team to play against. Prior to Arteta's arrival, we were a team that, much like we have been in the last couple months. Um, that, that other teams would come to and fancy themselves against straight away. And Arteta came in and did change that culture and made us a, a more difficult side to break down. Mm. Um, 
Now, looking at the fixture list, obviously, we played Leeds in the FA Cup, which we won 1-0 thanks to a goal from Reese Nelson. Uh, and then we had an away day at Crystal Palace um, in a 1-1 draw, which Aubameyang, um, did he, he put us ahead in that game, didn't he? He put us ahead, then got sent off. Oh, yes. Yes, that was uh, that was one of the first times. Were you the, there? Uh, I, decided, I was with you, yeah. You were with me. Okay, yeah, all right. It was a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember being with you then uh, and, and getting a text. Do you? Do yeah, you really? I remember, I remember checking Twitter and getting a text and everyone being like, he's off here. And I remember sort of us revealing to each other we'd seen it at the same time before the ref brandished the red card. Um, yeah. that, was a, that was a stressful affair um, with our terrible view. That was, a, that was the first away day for me. Uh, so did you go to Bournemouth on Boxing Day? I did go to Bournemouth on Boxing Day, yeah. Yeah, so that was my first uh, Mikel Arteta away day. Uh, and uh, only one of two, it, it transpired. Um, that was uh, that was quite an enjoyable one. We met for breakfast at Weatherspoons at Victoria, if I We've, memory we recalls. Your, your, memory, your memory served you well now. <laughs> so I was, clearly did know I was with you. Um, also, <laughs> on the Leeds game, I remember they played us absolutely off the park first half. Um, and first half, they, they, could have been, they could have been four or five nil up at half-time. They absolutely they really slaughtered us. <laughs> yeah. And that was sort of an indication of what was to come from them when, they, uh, when they've come up. And that game kicked off at, at 7.56. I believe they delayed all kickoffs by a minute for mental health. Um, they did. Then we had a, a fairly mundane one-all draw with Sheffield United. Now, did Abam- so Aubameyang was suspended. So was who scored it? Our goal, because I remember John Fleck equalising late on with a, a it was deflected Mar- effort. It was Martinelli. Martinelli, who got our goal, yeah. Hmm. Yep. And then on to the next game, which uh, which I couldn't believe when I wrote this down. Twenty first of January, Chelsea away, which I know we've discussed on a previous pod as our favourite away, with uh, Martinelli's breakaway goal. Uh, we had 10 men from very early on. Mustafi with a shocking back pass to uh, Leno. Abraham intercepts it, knocks it round Leno. David Luiz takes him out, straight red and a penalty, which Jorginho skips home. Uh, <laughs> roll on 11 months. Uh, <laughs> Burnt learned his lesson. Uh, and of course, I remember going ballistic next to the Chelsea uh, away fans. And of course, it transpired that Many of the people <laughs> sat to our right were actually Arsenal fans. Uh, yes. Quite amusing. But I cannot believe that was my last away game. The 21st yeah. of January, which is it's crazy mad. to say out loud. It's mad. Um, my, my last away game came slightly later, which obviously we'll touch on um, yes. in, in a little while. But that was hands down the best uh, the best away day of of last season and obviously by extension this season because we haven't had one um and it was just that's what football's all about that Mm. that 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 sort of rivalry amongst supporters that that celebration and rubbing it in the face of the people next to you that's what it's all about and there is uh no person on this planet i would rather be sat next to away uh, home fans with than you because your antics are extraordinary at the best of times <laughs> thank you what can i say what can i say i uh 
I feel, I feel like where, you know, all troubles and tribulations going on in my life, <laughs> they come out, you know, they just, they're, it's an outpouring of emotion every away day. Oh dear. And that was yeah. certainly one of them. Oh dear. And uh, of course, Tom, no one else I'd rather share with. And you do seem to enjoy it more than anyone. Some people, uh, dare I say, find it uh, marginally embarrassing. Um, but uh, there you go. I, no, I feel like you bring out the best in me as well. So <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's all right. We, we're like a double act. We bounce off of one another. So it's fine. <laughs> oh dear. Very good. Very good. And of course, uh, we rounded January off um, with uh, an FA Cup tie away at Bournemouth. And you, you were there. I was there, and that was that was one that I I I I've said on the podcast before that I live in Kent, so I finished work at three thirty, and I drove straight down to Bournemouth, watched the game, drove straight back, and got home at about two in the morning, um, and then went to work at seven the next morning. So it wasn't my, maybe my wisest decision, but it was a uh, it was interesting being at Bournemouth. Because obviously for the cup, we get a bigger allocation. So rather than being on the side like we, we traditionally are, um, we had the whole of one end, which I'm sure you'll agree, Andre, always makes uh, cup mm. football a little bit more exciting when you get the whole of a, whole of a stand. It really so does. That was, a, that was a nice experience. And uh, it was a fairly comfortable affair as well, because obviously we took the took a two-goal lead early on. We we pretty much were in control again, we, and we didn't concede until really late on anyway. So it was a bit of a nervy, nervy last couple of minutes. But in general, that was a, a fairly comfortable away day. Which it was. Which a, a, a novelty. It was, it was. And I think that the, the thing that stood out for me in that game was the sort of green shoots of Saka and Martinelli combining uh, yeah. down that left-hand side for, I, I, I want to say the opener, but but I think Eddie might have got that. But either way, the goal where uh, Martinelli stands up the marker, Saka overlaps, plays him in, roof of the net. Lovely stuff. Yeah, it was beautiful. And uh, Joe Willock was heavily involved in the two goals as well. So yes. it was uh, a, a, a very, a very hail-end uh, brace of goals that we scored in that game. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so that that kind of brings us to the end of January. Um, how how long ago does that feel? It does not feel like it was a year ago. I know. It feels it like it was about fifteen. I know, I know. Um, and I have to say, the first game in February, because again, unbeaten in the league in February. Yeah. Can you remember anything from Burnley away nil nil on the February second? No, the main reason I don't. Is I know me and you were toying with the idea of going, and I actually I actually did have a ticket for it, and I know that last minute you came into contact with two tickets as well and asked me if I was up for going. And ordinarily, I would have been really up for going to any game, um, but my mum was in, in hospital having an operation oh, at the course. time. So I, I didn't actually watch the game because I was driving my mum to hospital um, when the game was taking place. So... I've seen the highlights of it, but uh, from what I remember, there weren't many highlights. No, I I remember quite literally nothing about this game. I I even just clicked then on the website because I couldn't even remember what kit we wore. Um, It was the uh, lovely yellow and blue affair. Um, Yes, and then, uh, then it was an international break. And then we had Newcastle at home, which to my knowledge uh, was the... Well, to my to my memory serves was probably our most enjoying enjoyable attacking display. 
Lacazette hadn't scored in forever and scuffed one in in the last minute. Ozil yeah. scored a, a very strange goal where he kicked it. It was, it was it's actually a terrible strike straight at the keeper and it dribbled in. Uh, Pepe scored, Saka nutmegged. Uh, uh, oh, I cannot remember this guy's name. Anyway, oh, a Newcastle well, right back. I don't think he plays with them anymore. Anyway, he just popped it through his legs, squared to Pepe, uh, and we were away. It was uh, a really fantastic performance. Um, was, was that was that also when Saka did his interview and went whoops? <laughs> yes. <laughs> whoops. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that game because I came round to uh, your section of the stadium and sat with you for the second half for that one as well. Um, so that was a, that was a lovely experience because the, the the first half was was fairly dour. Nothing really happened in the first half, and then it wasn't until the second half that we really got going. Mm. Um, so it was lovely to see, and it was lovely to see all the Newcastle fans being unhappy. Um, <laughs> and I, I think we shared our irrational dislike of Newcastle. Um, mm-hmm. During during that event, as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're fairly harmless, um, but I, I hate them. I hate them, and I, I hate many many of their fans. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I my, my rationale for that is that I know a surprisingly large amount of Newcastle fans, and the vast majority of them come from the south. So when I was at university, I met loads of um, at Brighton University. Um, and most, I didn't know any that actually came from Newcastle or, or anywhere near Newcastle. And when I asked why they supported them, most of them just said, well, Alan Shearer. And it, that rationale on its own annoys me. <laughs> Mine too. Mine too. I think I've talked about the Alan Shearer, uh, we'll call it a dichotomy, because um, it's bizarre. Why would you, what if he, what if he moved, right? What, why, why aren't there as many Blackburn fans down here? Oh, it boils my blood. Anyway, <laughs> let's move I suppose on. He, because... I suppose Shearer <laughs> is that whole thing is like a, a an earlier version of the whole Mesut Ozil fanboy sort of culture. Yes. Um, and obviously we have a lot of those in the club who, if you just scour through social media for a little bit of time, you see lots of people who um, claim to be an Ozil fan as opposed to an Arsenal fan. Well, this, um, but this and... is a whole new thing. I think it all started yeah. with Ronaldo and Messi, really. Yeah, support them, not the club they play for. It's uh, ludicrous. It is ludicrous. Um, anyway, moving on to the next fixture. Now, the next fixture <laughs> was a Europa League away game um, against Olympiacos, which I actually went to with uh, with my brother, Chris. Mm. Um, and we had a lovely, lovely time out there. We drank Mythos, we ate some Gyros, um, and then we went to the game and Arsenal won one nil. So it was a, a lovely, lovely trip all round. And at that point, we couldn't imagine what was going to happen at the end of the month. No, we couldn't. We couldn't. Lovely Lacazette goal. And I think that was the first game where we all went, ah, yes, we didn't have this under... I, what, I sort of removed the Emery era, but with Arteta, he went one nil away from home in a... Is it quarterfinal at that point? Maybe round of 16, actually. Yeah. One nil away from home, you went, yes, good. We are, we are, this is what you want to do. Uh, that's exactly what Arteta's here for. And, uh, and uh, yeah, we'll sail through at home. Um, we then had uh, Everton in a, a, an enthralling encounter, actually. I think uh, Ancelotti had just started to take grip and Arteta had taken grip because we had that terrible nil-nil up at their place before both managers were in charge. Um, the goal um, that 
the thing that stands out in this game for me was uh, Eddie's first sort of, it wasn't his first Premier League goal, but it was first significant Premier League goal where you thought, okay, have we got a striker here who can take minutes from Lacazette? Because Lacazette was number one, you know, to, played in the Europa League. Eddie comes in, scores from a fantastic whipped cross, I believe from Saka, but could have been. It was from Saka, yeah. Uh, and pops it through Pickford, Pickford's legs. Difficult finish. And you just thought, yes, we've got a penalty box striker here uh, who can make a real contribution. Yeah, what struck me most about that uh, that game as well is that obviously when we when we won one 0 at Olympiacos, uh, Bakaya Saka um, set up the goal, um, and then he found himself on the bench against Everton, and I can't was it Klasenac got injured mm. um, early on? That's right. And and you could tell beforehand that Saka that Arteta had made a, an effort to rest Saka for that game because obviously being a young player, form is inconsistent, and to play two games in in such a short space of time. Um, is a tall order, and he brought him on, and he got he got an assist within within a really short amount of time being on the pitch. But I remember he did struggle that day, um, mm. particularly in the first half when he came on. He really did struggle, and you could see why he was trying to rest him. And that kind of brings me to um, the current situation that we've got because if we look at the um, the game against Brighton, I thought Martinelli worked hard, but he he, he did struggle in there, and this is sort of looking towards the West Brom game, which um, is coming up on the on, on the weekend. Um, Martinelli, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play that game because of youth players, it's very difficult to just go, well, you play every game hmm. because their form is going to be inconsistent. And Bakaya Saka in the last year, his form has become so consistent because probably because he was managed well last year and this year he's become an even better more integral player and he's almost the first name in the team sheet now so I think that's worth noting yeah. because we see we see people get so angry when managers change players and I don't think people realise that footballers aren't robots they can't play every game they need to be rotated particularly during a festive period like we've just had hmm. so that's worth noting I think yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, as a team, we certainly looked uh, leggy uh, when we went to uh, when we had the game on the Thursday against Olympiacos. Now, this game stands out because, of course, the owner of Olympiacos, who paraded on the pitch uh, after their their painful victory at the Emirates, uh, of course, had coronavirus. Um, yes. And uh, that wasn't established till a, a week or so later. Uh, and more on that coming soon, I suppose. Um, Aubameyang's goal. In, uh, this was the first. This was a game that is um, so was so arsenally and so you can't go out from one nil up away from home. You know, you just you just can't. Uh, not to Olympiacos, who who didn't have a thing about them. Sure, we went 1-0 down, uh, and then we had extra time. Aubameyang scores that worldy overhead kick, and then the naivety to concede um, so late on. And, and I, um, my my uh, heart was was broken at that point, because I was so sure we'd win the Europa League uh, this that season uh, and get back into the Champions League. Um but I didn't realise when Aubameyang missed from a yard out that that would have put us through. I thought it made no difference. Yeah. So the significance of that miss was lost on me at the time. 
Yeah, um, I, I, I'm in agreement. Actually, I'm not sure I, I really thought about it because it was such a crushing blow when Olympiacos scored late on that. I, I don't think you, you almost zone out from the game at that point because you think all hope's lost. You kind of forget what's going on and, and don't really do the calculations in your head. Um, so I'm, I'm with you on that. But um, going back to what you said about the COVID um, factor with the with the owner, that was probably my first real exposure mm. to COVID-19 because I, I, I really wasn't aware of it. Uh, I was aware of it, but not to the extent that you could foresee anything dramatic happening like like what we now know did happen um so that was a, a real factor there in itself but that game was just absolutely heartbreaking um because where i sit at the emirates i i have a view right over the the away fans and obviously they had a slightly bigger allocation for that game as well um and they went absolutely berserk when they scored um like I, like I love an away end with limbs. I love it, but that was painful seeing because they were just so excited, and you could completely understand it because after the first leg, they they were completely out of the tie. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, a tough one, a real, real, really, really tough one. It was, it was, and it really was a. Um, it felt season over at that point. If I, if I'm honest, um, it did. It did. It, uh, Gone. No, and then, uh, yeah, I was just going to say, and then we, we rolled onto, uh, you know, it seems so insignificant at the time because we then had Portsmouth on the Monday. Again, one you went to. I remember Torreira got a shocking injury and we were all really, really worried about the fitness of Lucas Torreira because um, yeah. I think he just started to become a pretty important part of Arteta's team. Uh, and it's interesting looking, you know, where we are now with him, not even at the club. But he was important, uh, and he got a horror tackle from someone. Um, although I do think the guy probably won the ball. I don't think it was a red card or anything. Uh, Socrates scored again, playing from right back with a thunderous finish. It was uh, thunderous. I was, I was right behind it. Um, it was another game where we got the whole of the end. So we were right behind that one. Um, and, it, yeah, it, it, it did thunder in. Um most noticeable thing for that game, uh, Reese Nelson got the assist for both goals, mm. um, and that and that felt like a really sort of important um, moment for him. And it's just unfortunate that his fitness hasn't allowed him to kick on. Um, I think Arteta alluded to um, fairly recently that he has been carrying a knock in injury, uh, mm. you know, in training, which has restricted his involvement. So hopefully he can put that behind him and really start kicking on. But that was a that was a performance where you saw a player and thought, you know what, there is something about him. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and uh, we hope to see we hope to see more of that. Um, I have to tell you about March because uh, on the sixth, I put out a Facebook status which Kelly reminds me of every day. So this is the sixth <laughs> of March, which was it's just the flu, guys. Right? <laughs> I remember that as well. I remember it. I don't really put Facebook statuses up, more of a tweeter. But for some reason, that day I felt compelled to say it's just the flu, guys. Um, and I was right, you know, that's the thing. No. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, the very next day, so that was the sixth, and I was just, when I was doing my research this, the next day we went and beat West Ham 1 0. I can yeah. confirm, and sorry, and I should have said this one thing that stood out at the Olympiacos. Um, home game and the West Ham home game. This is such a bizarre observation. Put the queue to wash people to wash your hands 
and it says much about men's hygiene as much as anything, was enormous. I have never seen the queue to wash hands, uh, uh, you know, be so long uh, as it was at the Emirates in those two games. And it was when it, you, you sensed that there was a change in, in mindset across so many people. Um, there'd only been 200 cases at that point across the UK. And it's just absolutely fascinating to me because, you know, we know we got a, a, a VAR overturned a goal uh, that was originally ruled out for Lacazette, which was Ozil, uh, Ozil's last goal involvement, I suspect, for Arsenal. Um, but I could, I still, when I look back now and think about the 7th of March, I still can't believe that was the last time I was in a stadium and the last time I saw a full stadium. I, I, it, yeah. it sort of is, it's, it, it boggles the mind that that was at this point over nine months ago. Um, and, you know, I know we had tickets for the uh, City away game that was coming up on the in midweek. Um, but to, to, to be looking at this uh, and thinking, my goodness, when I just see it there, I'm on Arsenal.com now just seeing that Saturday, March 7th, and the next game is June 17th. It is, it's still, uh, it's still incredible. And actually for me, the, when I realised, despite that um, ill-advised uh, Facebook status, um, I, uh, I think when football got cancelled was when I realised how serious this is. Because they don't cancel football for anything, <laughs> like ever. Yeah. There's no, like, it takes so much for a game to be cancelled. You see, like, blizzards, and it's impossible to get to the ground. And they're like, well, we still need to fix get this fixture in, even if we have to delay uh, kickoff by half an hour. This match is getting played. Uh, and I think the fact we then went three months without a game really sort of told you the uh, tale of the time. Yeah, and I think looking at that fixture the West Ham game it, like you said it is it is surreal that that's the last time we were in a football stadium um and, and also that's the last time I think we saw each other face to face yeah it was it was which is right. which is incredible because I talk I talk to you every single day in some capacity <laughs> about, about whether it's a load of rubbish or whether it's about the football I speak to you every day and I've not seen you since March the 7th it's incredible it's utterly ridiculous. Um, and then obviously the following week was when we were we had a big away day planned to go down to Brighton, didn't we? Oh. Um, and I think there was four of us going. And it, it was something we were so looking forward to. And I remember texting you back and forth um, before the, um, as the week was progressing. Because one by one, everything was shutting, whether it was non-essential shops um, I think there was a conversation about schools closing um, and, and everyone was being encouraged to work from home and yet still football was carrying on. <laughs> and we were texting and saying, well, surely it's not going to happen. Like as much as we wanted to, surely it's not going to happen. And I think it would have happened had Arteta not tested positive for COVID. Mm. And he was the first th uh, key figure in football that got it that made everyone think, okay, well, now we need to do something. So obviously they, they immediately, as as we got that news, cancelled all the fixtures for the weekend. And, and as we know, we didn't resume play until the 17th of June. Um, but I think what's key to remember with that is if we look at the number of deaths that have been caused by COVID, um, if that weekend of fixtures had gone ahead with supporters in stadiums, that number would be even higher than it is now. So yeah. inadvertently, 
for, by Arteta getting that, Arteta probably saved lots of lives just by testing positive. I mean, what can't he do is what I'd say at this point. <laughs> <laughs> what can't the man do? Absolutely. What can't he do? Well, I'll tell you what he uh, couldn't do. Uh, <laughs> but I, I tell you what, because June is... Uh, because we have to go on to it. And I think um, some of the results become fairly insignificant league-wise. So in June, we had four away games in a row. We had that City loss. And I remember, I remember when football was coming back. And I remember texting you in early June, being like, I'm dreading going to City as the first game. Like, I actually don't want football to come back. Because I, 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 I was really calling for the league to end on a points-per-game basis. Uh, And just sort of leave as is. And then when football was coming back, the first game was to have an injury within two minutes to Xhaka. Two minutes later, Pablo Marie. David Luiz comes on, gets sent off. (laughs) And you just go, oh my God, I I hate this. I hate this. And we succumb to a 3-0 loss. David Luiz comes out and it's all about his contract. Uh, Warning signs were there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, then we had that loss to Brighton, where Nicola Pepe scored a, a goal uh, that was absolutely masterful, and and I think I certainly thought he could be the player of uh, uh, lockdown. You know what was it? Uh, Project Restart. Um, but we That's did it. again lose uh, with Gwendouzi, um <laughs> talking to Neil Mopai about uh, respective earnings, only to see Neil go and uh, bag uh, a 93rd minute winner. And at that point, I just wanted football to go away again for roughly three months. Yes. That <laughs> was, was horrible. And it sort of curtailed any chance we had of... of um, well, it, it, it made it look like Europa League was going to be mm, very, very difficult. Or was it Champions League at that point? I think it might have been Champions League. I think we we could have still been in the conversation had we got a win at Brighton. I think we could have been in the conversation mm. still, but um, as as sort of time progressed, it became very clear that that wasn't really a viable option. Um, and then, as obviously we picked up a win against Southampton, uh, beat Sheffield United in the cup. Well, um, I think the Sheffield gonna, United game, yeah. just to say, was was where Sabios obviously scored a very late winner, which we we did not deserve. Um, no. But it was, I think, the first time we saw him get into the box. But he looked a different player after that moment. It was key for him. Yeah. Um, and that was also a, a really significant one because that was the first... Although I missed not being there at different games, that was a big one because that was a game we would have had a big allocation um, for the FA Cup. And that's another one where I think we had four or five tickets between... Uh, to distribute mm. around that we were going to go to, so um, it was that was a really different difficult one not to go to. And I remember texting you and saying how how gutting it was that game taking place with no fans there because there's something very special about the atmosphere of cup games. Um, so I really felt it uh, for for that fixture. Um, as we sort of progressed into July, again, I'm not I'm not going to go into too much detail about the games because, like you say, they kind of all sort of fall into the same category. There mm. was a few wins in there. There was a few uh, losses in there that proved significant. But ultimately, our league form uh, wasn't good enough to to get us into the conversation about about Europe about European football. Um, but what we do need to focus on is how we fared in the cup competitions. 
uh, competitions. Why am I saying plural? We're only in one. <laughs> Uh, but in the FA Cup, um, and obviously we beat Manchester City two 0 in the uh, semi final, uh, which was actually the day of my. I had a, a virtual stagger do for that for that day as well, which was um, interesting to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we'd just beaten Liverpool two one in a fashion we couldn't believe. Right. And and uh, interestingly, Emmy Martinez made an incredible save from Alexander Arnold. And then against City, it was one of those games that just felt inevitable we would win. Uh, once we got ahead, Abamyang missed a chance early on that we th- and I actually think a lot of people thought that was our moment. Uh, and then we did one of those passing moves from back to front, which was just astonishingly good. Um, and the first of its kind. Uh, and and uh, we never really looked like losing. We were in command. Brilliant Aubameyang breakaway goal down the left, finishing uh, with ease through Edison's legs. Uh, and that was that was just um, that was incredible. That was absolutely incredible. Um, and then we had the end of the season where Watford we had to win uh, to yeah. have a chance of finishing sixth and. and we went 3-0 up and then it was just holding on. It was really hard to watch. That was the day after my birthday. Um, and then four days later, Tom, we, we did our first podcast. Was that when it was? Yeah, 30th of... Uh, well, I think... Well, it only went out on the 30th of July. So I suspect we recorded it on the... Judging by how this normally goes, on the 28th or the day after the Watford game. Uh, which yeah. was July 27th. Which is, uh, yeah. yeah, and we, we, we talked about sort of memories of the season and, uh, you know, the Martin anything. And, and I think we talked about the final and went, mm, not sure. Uh, and then, uh, of course, we went and lifted the FA Cup, which uh, was, you know, it feels like a lifetime ago. Um, not, many, not many trophies won in August uh, of significance. But, yeah, Saturday, August the 1st, I remember watching it at a, a pub near the... And it seems crazy to say going into a pub. I was in a pub with six people that I didn't, you I know, know, from all different households. What, what a wild time. Uh, and it was <laughs> fine. <laughs> and it was fine. Uh, I just remember being told to sit down the whole time. But even that feels like a different era. It feels like a different and lifetime. You, it was, it was you, five and, months. And you stood up and shouted at the bouncer, it's only the flu. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, I I very much at that point had... had um, Realise that, that perhaps, only perhaps, I'm wrong. <laughs> That's very big of you. It's very big of you. Um, yeah, honestly, the cup, the cup final was uh, sensational. And it's um, it's one of those memories I've got that despite not being there, I had just the, the best day because I had a, I, I, we spoke about in the podcast that I had a family barbecue and I got all of my family wearing Arsenal shirts um, and it was just tremendous, and mm. the, the the feeling after was was just elation, and just just to win another trophy, um, particularly in a season that was so challenging, really felt felt so important to to supporters. Um, but that was that was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and I, I was going to say to you as well, one of the things uh, that that happened in August that I think. Um, forgotten about was the Champions League as well forget the Europa League 
Um, but the Europa League, sorry, the Champions League, of course, we had that mini tournament where some second legs were finished in early August. And then we had that um, game where Bayern beat Barca 8-2, uh, yeah. which was sort of monumental at the time. And again, it's sort of one of these where it's just gone into the ether. But I remember how long they still bring up our 8-2 loss. Um, but I, that was just um, remarkable remarkable football uh, and it's crazy to look back at the fact the Champions League again was only four months ago we had a final um, which was uh, which was uh, you know so significant and that mini tournament was great and I think it really was you know I mean there was rumours wasn't there that it might go back to something like that and who knows with cases rising like they are and games getting called off again you know, there may well be a legitimate mini tournament of, of sorts um, of that nature. But it was, uh, you know, sort of historic seeing a, a club competition like that. Yeah, it, it was historic and it was um, so entertaining to watch. I mean, I pretty much watched every game, as I'm sure you did. Mm. Um, and it was just it was it was brilliant from start to finish. It was brilliant. Um so I th- that probably brings that season to to a nice conclusion, um, and it was so nice to end that season on on such a high with the with the cup final, um, and then we go into August where we won the Community Shield against Liverpool um, with quite a similar performance to the one that that saw us beat Manchester City, um, very similar first goal um, it, from building from the back forwards and. Although we won on penalties, it did feel like that it, it kind of set the tone for the season, and we were we were quite optimistic about what we could achieve going into going into the um, the Premier League campaign. And mm. to start with, it, okay, the performances might have not been brilliant, but in the league, we won three out of our four first um, first games. Um, so it did start quite well, and then it just completely collapsed. It did. It did. It did. I think, um, just to say, I was looking just now at the team uh, that played uh, against Liverpool and competed. And, of course, we had that first game of El Elneny and Xhaka. William Saliba was on the bench. <laughs> Emmy Martinez started in goal. The rest was sort of much of a muchness. Uh, yeah. Saka played on the right of a front three and Eddie uh, up top. And then we had the Fulham game and we'd signed Gabriel at that point. Uh, and of course he scored. Uh, and he's been uh, he's been one of the, the, the big positives. Uh, and Willian had a, a brilliant game against Fulham. And, uh, you know, we knew then what we were getting. Um, (laughs) uh, and then it seems strange to say because I was looking at this start of the season 3-0 against Fulham then that that snuck that West Ham win which was so important went to Leicester in the Carabao uh, and got a nice win with the youngsters which felt really good at the time then admittedly we lost to Liverpool uh, but we really that Lacazette chance felt really significant at the time that we, we could have pegged back the champions um, was just so, oh, God, what a team we've got here. Then we went and beat them again on penalties in the Carabao. Then we had that brilliant performance against Sheffield United uh, where we scored two in two minutes with a, a sack of header and a Pepe cutting in from the right. And then we don't win a game in the league <laughs> from October 4th um, other than that one victory at Old Trafford. Uh, it's just, it's insane. Yeah, 
Uh, I mean, to go and after that, like like you say, we won one game in ten. It's it's ridiculous. The form was just absolutely insane, um, and it just. To be fair, we didn't really see a conclusion to that. We didn't see things getting better, and it's only because of that result against Chelsea recently that we started to think, okay, well, that that puts us on a bit more of a positive front. And then we went to Brighton and got three points there. And now things are starting to look a little bit rosier in a sense that we're not looking over our shoulders and thinking we legitimately could get relegated. Um, Personally, I think that ship has sailed now. I do think we'll be be fine, particularly when Thomas Partey is back in the the Mm. team. I I think we'll be fine. But... It's still not exactly something to shout about. Sitting, are we thirteenth at the moment, or have we dropped down again? No, I believe we are the dizzy heights of thirteenth. I mean, I'm looking longingly at tenth place and uh, hoping to see <laughs> us on the first page of the league table on any graphic. But uh... yes, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's it's just this is the as low as it's been supporting Arsenal in in our lifetimes, really. Um, and obviously, Arsenal have had periods of. Uh, abject performances uh, in years gone by but for for our generation this is as bad as it's got and it's I, I I almost feel guilty saying that because as bad as it's got we won a we won a trophy like a few months ago mm. do you know what I mean like it's, yeah. that's as bad as it's got for our generation and we've still seen our football club lift a major trophy um so just that does give you uh, an indication about just how spoiled we have been as arsenal supporters um if mm. you compare um so a team like berry who don't even exist anymore because of uh financial implications um it does really make you stand back and take notice about what what privileges you do have absolutely absolutely something i talk about quite often that i think people just really don't they they don't necessarily understand, if I'm honest, like how lucky we are when you look at the the whole football pyramid, you know. But there is also the flip side that we do we we are. I saw a couple of things right that that really stand out for me in this time. We're the twelfth richest club in the world, right? Not in the league, and we are where we should be in the world. We should be competing for top honours and we should most certainly be in Europe's premier competition. And I think that's the thing is whilst it is, there is also that sort of reality. There is also the part that we really should be, we shouldn't really be in this position and we shouldn't deserve to be there. Do you know what I mean? We could have had several unlucky fixtures or several injuries or, uh, you know, COVID cases throughout the squad. We, We haven't. We've had near enough a full squad minus party uh, most weeks. Um, anyway, uh, but, 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 uh, the thing that stood out to me was that in, I don't know how many, how many consecutive years did we finish above Tottenham? Do you know, until recently, was it 20? Is it, I think it was 18, yeah. maybe 20. 18, I, th- I think it was 18. I think you're right with that one. Yeah. And, uh, in the 18 years we won nine trophies and they won two. Uh, I think they, they were both were Carabao cups, league cups in the, I think they finished above us four years in a row now. So four yeah. or five years they've finished above us. They've won zero trophies and we've won two. And it's just, you know, like, much as we want better league form, we only have to look up the road to realise it's not all bad. <laughs> uh, and and uh, 
one of my Spurs sporting friends I was talking to the other day. Well, my only, my only one. I try and keep uh, very few of them. Um, but he uh, he was saying because uh, he got mocked by an Arsenal fan, one of those terrible Arsenal fans. In fairness, that sort of was giving it to him after they lost to Leicester. But we had just lost to uh, whoever it was, Ch- uh, Everton. Yeah. And he was like, I'd rather be where you are. Sorry, they it, like, and I think Spurs fans think we'd rather be higher in the table having not won trophies. But ultimately, as much as the league form is one of the most infuriating and aggravating things ever, there's nothing like winning trophies. And we've got to remember that because you look at our uh, FA Cup draw and what we could do or the Europa League and actually winning those trophies, even if we finish 12th, would represent something much, much better. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think we've touched on it before, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade our, our trophies for for anything because that is something that in history stands out. That's something that you always remember. Um, whereas years gone by, no one's realistically, we're not going to remember where where Arsenal finished in certain seasons. Well, me and you will, but most people won't remember that sort of information. Um, you remember the the highs of winning a trophy, and obviously. You only have to look at the Emirates Stadium and go around the, the, the centre of the stadium where it says all of our club honours. And that just is a constant reminder. And it will always say 2020 and have a picture of the FA Cup. Um, so I think that's fantastic that we that we will we, always have that. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that for anything. No, nor would I. Nor would I. And I, I suppose, um, you know, I think that's a, a lovely way to sort of... Um end this because it's it's been the most insane year of all time we've still managed to win a cup which has been so beautiful and I hope you know my my biggest hope and dream is that in 2021 when we do this and this could become a bit of a tradition by the way uh, I I would like to think we are back in the Champions League and everything's right but it's highly unlikely it's highly unlikely but uh yeah, it's been it's been quite the year. It's been quite the year to look back on, that's for sure. It has. Before we uh, bring this podcast to a close, I wanted to ask you, um, who, what three players would you say would be your players of the calendar year? Ooh, what a great question. Uh, Bukayo Saka is number one. Hundred percent. Yeah. You know, I I don't. I think especially from if if you look at expectation as well, I think that is such a big part for me. That I, 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 no one saw this coming. I don't even, I remember uh, in the, um, I might have been the Johnston's paint uh, where he, you know, the youngsters play against the uh, senior team. I think he scored away at Portsmouth um, and he, he absolutely tore them apart. And it was the first time I think he really came to prominence. And he didn't, it wasn't like Wilshire. Wilshire was talked about from the age he was about 14. And everyone knew we had this this gem. No one talked about Saka. So to come from where he was to where he is, no one saw that coming. And, and we're all projecting, and we all need to be a bit careful. <laughs> we are all projecting where we think he could get to because it seems like it's going to be pretty, pretty special. Um, but we just have to remember to be patient with him but he he is number one uh for me what do you think that's i think that's fair uh he would be number one for me as well um i i i got 
obviously a list of players in my head, but certainly Saka would be the highest. Uh, you just have to look at the progression that he's made in the last year and how important a player he is for us now. Towards the end of last season, he wasn't an automatic starter. He didn't start in the FA Cup final. He didn't even come on in the Cup final, did he? Um, wow. But he... But he is now one of the first names on the team sheet and you would be worried if he wasn't playing. Oh, yeah. As a case in point, when he went down with his injury against Brighton the other day, which thankfully doesn't look like it's anything serious, um, I'm sure every Arsenal fan had their... Um, sort of took a, a deep inhale of breath as a worry about what could actually happen to him mm. and what would happen if he's not available. Um, fortunately, he seems all right, but that's how important he is to Arsenal Football Club now. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree, and it's um, he he he, he is so important. He is so 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 important, and uh, we just got to really hope that he uh, stays fit and stays at Arsenal for a long 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 time. Yeah, and he's he's become the shining light in this really dark and difficult time as an Arsenal supporter. He has been the one constant of positivity that we can have because we know that we've got such a talented youngster on our books and someone that we've created as a football club. Um, so it's fantastic to have him and uh, he really has been a shining light. Okay, Andre, who's your number two? The thing is, is like, how can we not say Aubameyang for what he did with in the FA Cup, but I don't. I don't think we can. I don't think we can. So it's going to be. Uh, I don't. I don't really know the order, but it's going to be Kieran Tierney. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think he looks like a leader. He looks like a captain. And I don't know if you follow uh, Yannick Balassi uh, on. Um, I do. Yeah. Yeah, he's quite a funny guy. Um, and it was he uh put didn't he he was like you need someone like that in your squad and it was actually after i think everything changed for me with my excitement for him after the alioski um thing i just felt he he's what you want he is the kind of player i love 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 to have in a team um i really do and i, I think he'll be a, an arsenal great and an arsenal fan favorite for, for years to come yeah, Tierney was in my top three as well. Um, no surprise to you there because you know how much I love Kieran Tierney. He uh, he's probably my favourite player now um, because he's a no nonsense, old school type of left back, um, but with that modern twist of having that attacking prowess as well. Mm. Um, so I just I love everything about him, and uh, he would certainly be in my top three for for my my players of the calendar year, um, and that's probably more because of what he's become this season as opposed to last season. But he doesn't let you down. You know you're going to get at least a 7 out of 10 from him every single game. Um, very rarely makes a, a, a huge mistake or anything. Um, and he is that leader. And he's someone who, I, if, if, if you ask me who I think should be captain, I would have Kieran Tierney as captain, because I think he is exactly what you need. Um, within that situation, which brings me on to actually, because when I went to Manchester United last year um, and I went up on the supporters coach and I was speaking to someone on the coach and he was saying that Arsenal have a ready-made captain in Kieran Tierney and a couple of us would sort of look at him and just like, we've signed him about about a week ago, like it's not, surely you can't say that. He was just like, no, honestly, I watch Scottish football, he's a ready-made captain um, to come in and he could be a leader straight away. And 
I have to say, I, I, I doubted that at the time. <laughs> Definitely can't doubt that anymore because he does look like someone who should be captain of Arsenal Football Club. Absolutely. And I, I, I'm almost sure he will be in, in, in the coming couple of years. I mean, what's crazy about Tierney is he's only, what, 22? Yeah. That's incredibly young. Incredibly young. Um, so, yeah, but I agree. You know, I have only excitement for, for, for Kieran Tierney. Um, okay, right. Uh, third place. Hmm. Hmm. Look, I, I'm torn. I think if Martinelli had stayed fit, he'd, he'd be in there. Yeah. I, I want to say Emmy Martinez because that was such an emotional and special period. But, but that really... But the fact he doesn't play at our club anymore effectively rules him out. Yeah. Um, I, I can't give it to Rob Holding, despite how pleased I've been with him. I can't give it to a new signing either, because they weren't part of the FA Cup. Um, You're bloody hell. these out very quickly. <laughs> uh, my goodness. Um, it's probably going to have to be Burnt Leno. Um, I think he has probably... Despite uh, Martinez's brilliance in the cup run, I think if you look at his performances throughout Arteta's tenure, where we've faced shot after shot, when he went down against Brighton, we were all terrified because he had been that good. And I think now we're seeing that you really can rely on him, even as our, our number one. He's had a few dodgy moments, but I think the fact his year sort of ended with a clean sheet and before that, a penalty save. I do think he's been a really excellent number one. Um, uh, and, it, you know, he, he really should. I think it says more about our plight that I feel compelled to have a goalkeeper in there. But I think it's going to have to be uh, it's going to have to be Leno. Um, but but not many others are, are, are in the mix. What, what about you? I, personally, my my number three would be Aubameyang. Um, okay. And I, 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 I completely appreciate why he wouldn't be in yours because of the sort of damaging last few months he's had to that sort of reputation that he had, that he held. Um, but I just think just for the FA Cup alone and his mm. performances in the semi-final and the final uh, to score the goals that got us that trophy, um, I, I, I struggle to look past him. Um, as being in in my top three players, regardless of what's happened since, so he yeah. would be the player that would uh, would creep into mine. But I, I completely understand your uh, your reasoning for uh, Bernd Leno because he, he was so significant um, to this team and he was so overworked as well. Yeah, that, no, uh, yeah, def- definitely a, ju- a justification for for Leno being in the conversation. But I, I think the the thing with Aubameyang, I get really. You're right. You know, how can I not put in someone who scored <laughs> as many goals as he did? And he his finishing was absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, I, maybe I'd have felt differently. You know, that, that chance against Brighton in the last game where, where he bent it wide? Yeah. He was scoring that. And I think if, if he felt he was going to do that. I just think for me, the thing that sort of has um, tarnished Aubameyang is just when it was bad and he's our captain and we've given him this contract the fact we were chucking youngsters in front of the camera and him not fronting up that's the thing that sort of I really the club needed someone to stand up and he didn't 
yeah. and I get why, and that's the only reason he he can't he can't make my my top three, which is which is not actually a reflection on him for what he's actually done on the pitch. I will admit. Yeah, I think I think you've probably got a case that if he if he wasn't captain of Arsenal Football Club, I think we'd probably be having a different conversation because although we'd still be talking about his contract, um, we wouldn't be talking about needing him to be that leader. Um, and sometimes I think for players, for certain players, that kind of detracts from what they do best. And what he does best usually is score goals. Mm. And to have him as our as our captain. I just feel like there's there, there are better players in the squad for that role, as we've just spoken about with Kieran Tierney. Um, but uh, yeah, he's, he's still going to remain in mind just because of the cup final memories. Yeah, but uh, I, I completely I, I completely understand the, uh, your justification about why why he might might not. Um, okay, I think that brings us very nicely to the end of this bonus episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. Uh, it's been a roller coaster ride going from January to December, and hopefully we'll have many more memories over the next few months to uh, to think about and to celebrate. And hopefully, it's not going to be long until we are back in football stadiums and uh, and watching uh, the team we love the most. Um, so, Andre, thank you very much for your time as always. Yeah, thank you for yours. It's been great. God, what a year! What a year! Yeah. It has been great and we'll obviously be back very soon with uh, more podcasts and hopefully uh, more wins to celebrate. But if you'd like to see what we're up to on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook by searching for The Boys in Red and White. And we also have a website which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. So happy new year to all our listeners and happy new year to you, Mr. Grayson. Happy new year to you, Mr. Dow and our listeners. Okay, and we will be back very soon with another podcast. Thank you and goodbye.